to see a church like this still preaching the gospel of Jesus Christ. And uh, because the valley is my home, this is where I grew up. And uh, as Pastor Dale said, the Lord led me to central New York, where I now pastor the church he grew up in. The Lord led him to the valley uh, where I grew up in, usually around January. I think I got the raw end of that deal. But uh, then come summer, I think it's reversed. But I, I have, over the since our church supports the Dales, and uh, over the years, I have grown very fond of your pastor and Shauna and their children. And so it's just a real privilege to be here. We come, every, since this is where my family is, we come here every year, usually in April, uh, to visit my family. So this isn't my first time here. And this year, uh, let's see, we got my wife, Naomi, and two of my three boys are here. My oldest is in college, but Samuel and Slater. And then we brought Brian DeRoshi and his son, uh, Noah, Brian is one of our deacons at uh, Open Door Baptist Church, uh, where, where we're at. And uh, so they're visiting, and uh, this is their first time to the valley, and we're just so glad to be here. In fact, I come here every year, and I love to go home and give a report to our church. you got a church in central New York State praying for you, and uh, you're important to them too. And there's a few more of you than when I was here last year. And I like to give a report, so I, if you don't mind, i got to get a picture of this crowd because it's, it's getting bigger every time we visit. And that's, that's exciting to be able to share uh, with our church family. Well, this is, uh, well, this is Palm Sunday. We're looking forward to celebrating the resurrection of our Savior next week. So we're going to start in the book of Matthew. Have you turn to Matthew chapter 27. We're going to start there. In anticipation of what's coming next Sunday, we just celebrate Easter. And the fact that we do, we do not serve a dead Savior, we serve a risen Savior. And that's exciting. Um, so in light of that, let's just take a look, just a, just a, a foreshadowing of what you're going to be celebrating next week. Matthew chapter 27. And uh, let's begin with, Verse 45 says, From noon until three in the afternoon, darkness came over all the land. And of course, the Lord is on the cross at this point. It says, About three in the afternoon, Jesus cried out in a loud voice, Eli, Eli, Lemmy, Sabachthani, which means, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? When some of those standing there heard this, they said, He's calling Elijah. Immediately, one of them ran, got a sponge. He filled it with wine vinegar, put it on a staff and offered it to Jesus to drink. And the rest said, now leave him alone. Let us see if Elijah shall come to save him. And when Jesus had cried out again in a loud voice, notice, he gave up his spirit. As Pastor Dale's already said this morning, um, he didn't have to die. He willingly gave his life. No one took it from him. He laid it down on his time. On the cross, he gave up his spirit. It says in verse 51, At that moment, the curtain of the temple was torn in two from top to bottom. The earth shook, the rocks split, and the tombs broke open. The bodies of many holy people who had died were raised to life. They came out of the tombs after Jesus' resurrection and went into the holy city and appeared to many people. Now notice verse 54. When the centurion, centurion was a hardened Roman soldier, He'd seen death. This wasn't his first crucifixion. He'd seen a lot of them. He had probably been one of those 
hailing insults at the Lord just hours earlier, maybe even been one of those who struck the Lord. But now it says, when the centurion and those with him, those who were under his command, were guarding Jesus, saw the earthquake and all that had happened, they were terrified. They were afraid. They were afraid and exclaimed, surely this was the Son of God. Well, what just happened there? What happened there was fear. You know, both the Old and the New Testament have a word that is translated fear. The one we, we read the most is in the New Testament. It's actually, in the New Testament, it's pronounced phobos, which sounds like what? Phobia, yeah. When we use the word phobia, we mean it to refer to irrational fears. Things that we really don't have reason to be terrified of. And uh, my sister has claustrophobia. She doesn't like closed-in spaces. I don't know why. I was the one that got locked in a dryer when we were kids. Uh, many people have arachnophobia. Spiders can send a big, strong man running like a little girl if he suffers from arachnophobia. Did you know um, there's a phobia called compunophobia, fear of buttons? There are people that are so afraid of buttons, they will only wear zippers and snaps. No buttons. Okay? Catoptrophobia is the fear of mirrors. I think I'm developing that one as I age. There is a fear of talking on the phone. I think we're seeing an increase in that. Well, you know what? Young people are not talking on phones. They're doing this all the time. My wife has musophobia. She really does. This is an irrational fear of mice. An irrational fear. Heart-stopping fear. The kind that when I hear the scream, I know there's a mouse in the house. I battle an irrational fear of being late. That is a form of chronophobia. I have nightmares about that. I really do. Uh, there's just all kinds of things that we have just developed fears over. But when the Bible uses the word Fear, it's much broader than that. It's a real fear, something to really be afraid of. So when we read in the scriptures that we are to fear the Lord, we get the wrong idea. Uh, it conjures up this idea that this is very puzzling. I mean, after all, we're talking about the Lord. This is the God who is love, who sacrificed himself, to save us, who promised he would never leave us or forsake us, who Jonah described as being gracious and forgiving. Why are we supposed to be afraid of him? That doesn't seem to make sense, does it? And we, we get the idea of a, a, a child who has an abusive father. That child is, lives in fear of when dad comes home. Is he going to be in a sour mood? Is that what it means? To fear the Lord. Well, the answer is it depends. The Bible uses the word fear, same word, in a couple of different ways, just depends on the context and how it's used. Let me give you a couple clear passages here. If you flip forward in your New Testament to the book of Luke, the book of Luke chapter 23, 
we'll see the word fear come up in verse, uh, verses 39 and 40. Again, Jesus Christ was on the cross between two criminals. And in Luke 23, 39, it says one of the, the criminals or thieves who hung there hurled insults at him. Are you not the Messiah? Save yourself and, uh, and us. He was being cynical. Verse 40 says, but the other thief rebuked him. He said, don't you fear, Phobos. Don't you fear God? Since you are under the same sentence, we are punished justly. For we are getting what our deeds deserve. But this man has done nothing wrong. Aren't you fearful? Aren't you afraid? You're insulting he who is innocent when we are guilty? I want you to look ahead a little further into the book of Romans, chapter 3. Romans chapter 3. And this is God's assessment of humanity, the human race. It says, uh, verse 10, as it is written, there is no one righteous that is not even one. There is... None who understand, there is none who seek after God. All have turned away, they have turned together to become worthless. There is no one who does good, no, not one. Their throats are open graves, their tongues practice deceit, their poison, the poison of vipers is on their lips. Their mouths are full of cursing and bitterness, their feet are swift to shed blood. Ruin and misery mark their ways, and the way of peace they do not know. There is no fear of God before their eyes. So evidently, it is not a good thing to have no fear of the Lord. In fact, we're commanded fear the Lord. In fact, the purpose of life, according to Ecclesiastes 12, is to fear God, keep His, com His commandments. This actually is like the the terror that a child feels due to his abusive, evil father, only the roles are reversed. It is God our Father who is innocent and we who are evil. Therefore, in our state of evil, we have reason to be terrified and fearful of a holy, righteous God. We have good reason. Why? God's wrath. Ephesians 5, 6, let no one deceive you with empty words, for because of these things, the wrath of God comes upon the sons of disobedience. That's us. When a holy, righteous God expresses his wrath on unrighteousness, folks, we have reason to fear the Lord. And many people do not. And we have to explore this more. Do people naturally fear God? I, I believe not. Uh, Romans Chapter 3 just says, no, you have no fear of God. Whatever sense of fear mankind does have of God, boy, he's quick to suppress it. We're good at doing that. We suppress the fear of God with things like self-justification. Well, I can't be that bad. God will accept me as I am, wouldn't he? We, we suppress the fear of God with things like evolution. Oh, who's afraid of the big bad wolf if the big bad wolf doesn't exist? There is no God. We came from rocks. See, that suppresses the fear of God. And this lack of fear, this lack of fear results in God becoming very, very small and people becoming very, very big, doesn't it? 
You know, such a lack of fear makes, makes a person become self-exalting, right? It lifts up oneself while pushing other people down. Uh, a lack of fear of God actually will make you afraid of people. Did you know that having a fear of people is a form of idolatry? Why? You've put people above God in your life. They're, they're number one. But when a person, being evil, does feel the sense of fear of God Almighty, it results, first of all, in terror. The first time this hit Peter, he said to Jesus, Go away from me, Lord, for I am a sinful man. He was experiencing the terror of the Lord. He was aware of his sin and of Jesus Christ's righteousness. And that kind of terror can, can lead to dread. But that kind of fear, unfortunately, can lead a person to hide from God, which takes us right back to suppressing him. This is what Adam and Eve did in Genesis chapter 3, verse 8. It says, the man and his wife heard the sound of the Lord God as he was walking in the garden in the cool of the day, and they hid from the Lord God. Why did they? They never did that before. What happened? They sinned. They were aware of their sin, and now they are in terror of the righteousness of God. That's what, that's what this terror can do. It can lead a person to, to run from the Lord. And this all sounds very negative, doesn't it? But when a person stops suppressing the fear of God and instead just seeks relief from this terror, good things can't happen. This person then starts to look more closely at God and sees God saves we're told in the New Testament that Jesus Christ is the propitiation for our sins. That's a big word that just means he is the wrath-removing sacrifice so that you will no longer stand in the, in the wake of God's wrath but be pulled out of the way. That's what a propitiation is. Christ did that. And then fear can move to its second usage in the Bible. The first usage is a terror fear, to be just terrified. The second use which is the more common use of the word fear throughout the Bible, especially the New Testament, is reverent fear. Same word, but instead of being used to strike terror into a heart, it is to be reverent of something, to revere, to hold in high esteem. And it is in this way that we are told to fear the Lord our God. Jonah used this idea of fear in Jonah chapter 1 and verse 8 when he said, I am a Hebrew, I fear the Lord, the God of heaven, who made the sea and the dry land. He wasn't living very reverently at that time, but that's how he used the word. I mentioned Ecclesiastes 12, 13, Fear God and keep his commandments, for this is man's all. It means have reverence for God. Acts 9.31 says the church throughout Judea, Galilee, and Samaria enjoyed a time of peace and was strengthened, living in the fear of the Lord and the comfort of the Holy Spirit. That reverent fear of the Lord is accompanied with the comfort from God. That's very encouraging. 2 Corinthians chapter 7, verse 1 says, Therefore, having these promises, beloved, let us cleanse ourselves from all filthiness of the flesh and spirit, perfecting holiness... In the fear of the Lord. That's not terror fear. That's reverent fear. Reverence is the focus. For the believer in Jesus Christ, having been saved by grace, 
accepting, believing the free gift of salvation that Christ offers in himself, fear is now a positive and a very comforting thing. Because it's not terror, but reverence. This is why there's no contradiction in 1 John chapter 4.18 that says, there is no fear in love, but perfect love casts out fear. So how can he say that and then tell us to fear the Lord? Well, that's simple. What he's saying is there is no terror in love. Love casts out terror and replaces it with reverence. When you are saved by grace, his love for you casts that terror far and replaces it with a reverence. Love, or that, that terror fear makes you to run from God. Reverent fear makes you to run to God. What a difference. You say, well, why does the Bible not use two different words? Why not use a word for reverence and a word for, for terror? Why is it used the same word, phobos, fear, and you have to determine the difference based on context? Well, that's not too hard to, to figure out because we simply have to realize that the terror of God and the reverence of God are both responses to this simple fact. The holy God of Israel reigns over the entire earth. So the message of the Bible is not merely that God saves, but that the Savior is the only holy God above all. And, and one will either live in fear of that God and run from him or live in reverence of that God and cling to him, one or the other. You see, that fact that we have a holy God of Israel that reigns over the entire creation produces a terror of God when we stand in self-righteousness, but it also produces a reverence for God when we are clothed in Christ's righteousness. The difference is where do you stand? Where do you stand with God Almighty? Might I suggest that everybody here, as we anticipate Easter, everybody here has a need to grow in the fear of God. In one way or the other, you have got to grow in the fear of the Lord. Listen, if you're not saved, then you have got to grow in your terror of the Lord. Because, friend, if you stand outside of the family of God, then you're living in your unrighteousness and you're living in the realm of your sin. You have reason to be terrified of a sinless God. Good reason. You got to grow in that terror of the Lord. Revelation 15:4 makes it clear eventually everyone is going to fear the Lord. When it asks the question, who will not fear you, Lord, and bring glory to your name? That's a rhetorical question. Who, who is not going to fear you at some point? The answer is no one. Because at some point, every knee will bow, every tongue will confess Jesus Christ is Lord. That's either going to happen in this life and in this body or in the next life in glory. One way or the other, everyone will fear and recognize Jesus Christ. If you have not acknowledged Christ as Savior now, you will then. May I suggest today is the day of salvation? Christ died for you 2,000 years ago, but Christ lives for you today. You have only to receive 
this free gift, there's nothing you can do to earn it. You're received by faith that Jesus Christ is the only way to have eternal life with God forever. And, and that just comes from a simple understanding and trust that there's nothing you can do to earn this salvation. Christ earned it for you. Simply believe. Whosoever believes in the Lord will be saved. It's present tense. Whosoever believes. Yeah, call on the Lord in faith and stop trusting in the fact that you're a nice person to get to heaven. Stop trusting in the fact that you were baptized at some point in the past. Stop trusting in anything you've done and put your trust right now in what Jesus Christ has done. He paid for your sin on the cross. He beat death for you when he rose from the grave. He lives today and he saves. He'll save you. Do you have that terror of the Lord? And then that terror will switch to reverence, just like that. And that's, that's you. If you're a believer of Jesus Christ already, can I suggest you need to grow in your reverent fear of the Lord? So do I, by the way. If you do not, God's going to become very, very small, and people are going to become very, very big. Okay? How do you know that God's, that your God is growing small and people are getting big? Well, there's indicators. Are politics giving you ulcers? Are what's going on in government keeping you awake at night? Good. Amen. Because it shouldn't. It shouldn't. The United States is not going to last into glory. Okay? Your citizenship in heaven is already secure. And uh, I praise the Lord for the freedoms I have in the United States of America. But those freedoms are temporary. The freedom I have in Christ, well, nobody can take that away from me. There's not a decision the Supreme Court can make. They, they, there's not a thing that this society can do to take away the freedom you have in Jesus Christ. God is just too big for that. You need to grow in your fear and, and reverence of the Lord Jesus Christ and uh, do not fear man. Christ himself said, don't be afraid of those who can, can take your physical life and hurt the body. So what? You ought to be afraid of him who has the soul. Uh, because that, this body doesn't last forever. Aren't you glad? Okay. This is so temporary. But what you are, who you are, that lasts for eternity. Praise God. He has your eternity secure in his hands because of Jesus Christ. You grow in that type of reverence, people just won't scare you anymore. Uh, what, what decisions come out of Washington, D.C.? They may frustrate you to all end, but they won't scare you. They won't keep you awake at night. If you don't grow in your reverence for the Lord, and you reach that point where people are big and God is small, you'll become critical when you should be gracious. You'll exalt yourself and put down others when you should exalt others and humble yourself. You'll seek to please men when you should just seek to honor God in obedience to Him. And you'll be more mindful of what other people think and less mindful of what God has said. When thus saith the Lord becomes prominent in your life, now you are reverent of your Savior. And a strong 
growing reverent fear of God puts you right where you should be. Isaiah 33, 6. Wisdom and knowledge will be the stability of your times and the strength of salvation. The fear of the Lord is his treasure. That's reverent fear. That's what Isaiah said. That's, that's reverent fear. You say, well, how do I grow in my fear of the Lord? What do I do? You know, uh, as preachers, and Pastor Dale will tell you this, any of our, our pastors here today, missionaries will tell you this, as preachers, the, the scriptures are filled with when you obey God's word, this is what God does. And there's a lot of instruction in the word of God. For all scripture is profitable for several things, and one of the things is instruction in righteousness. And we preachers spend a lot of time opening the word of God for instruction. Say, God, what do you have for me to do today? But you know, there are times to just take a break from all the instruction and the how-tos of the Bible and just simply look at God. You want to grow in your reverence? You just need to take a look at him from time to time. Remember, this was several years ago. Our boys were small. New York State has a, uh, the, the state fellowship has a men's type of retreat every year. And one year, the speaker, it, was a, it wasn't one speaker, it was a team of speakers. They were a Christian powerlifting team. These guys were giants. And they were just big, strong men. And, they, and all of them preached the gospel and had the testimony, the testimony of the Lord. One of them was the main preacher. And then they would use... Um, physical feats of strength as spiritual illustrations, and they could do things like rip phone books in half and bend rebar in their teeth and do all these incredible things. And they used that as an illustration. It was an incredible team, and we brought our boys. They were, they were little guys at the time. And uh, during the break, Samuel, he's over here in the black shirt. He's a little guy. He's, I want to meet those. I want to meet those guys. I want to shake one of their hands. I said, well, let's go see if they're back there. So we did, and we went back there. These guys were just giants. All of them, six foot something, this big. And uh, we walked up to one, and uh, I said, this is my son Samuel. He'd just like to shake your hand, and Samuel's just a little guy. This guy looks down, reached out, took half of Samuel's arm, and just shook his hand, and just looking at the massive muscle of this power-lifting preacher. You know, we need to do that with the Lord. Just step back and be awed by what we see. I think we stop doing that because we take our eyes off of Christ and we start looking at the waves of life, uh, politicians and people and frustrating circumstances and uh, high taxes or worries and the cares of this life. And all of those get big. We've taken our eyes off of he who is bigger than all, Jesus Christ. We just need to step back and look at the Lord. So let me just suggest something. This is not from me. This is from Edward Welch's book, When People Are Big and God is Small. It's an excellent book. He makes the following suggestions for just growing in your fear of the Lord Jesus Christ. I'm just going to relay them to you. Number one, read the creation psalms. Read the creation psalms. There's, uh, there's five of them. Psalm 8, 19, 29, 65, 104. All five of those psalms just emphasize God's creative power, how he, he spoke everything into existence. Then when you study those for a while, number two, read the enthronement psalms. These are the psalms that emphasize God's majesty. 
is on the throne of his kingdom, and no one's knocking him off. Um, that's Psalm 95, 96, 97, and 99. Those all emphasize the majesty of our God. Read those for a while and just examine God. You will grow in your fear of him, your reverence of him. And then study Psalm 139. It's a very familiar psalm, but it's kind of long. It might even be good to, to memorize it. Psalm 139 teaches on so many of God's attributes, his omnipresence. He's everywhere present. He's not only everywhere in, in, in space, he's everywhere in time. Uh, that, that psalm will teach you that. It talks about his omniscience. omniscience. There's nothing he doesn't know. Yeah, it just, it, 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 his, it, his, he's all powerful. Study the 139th Psalm. And it's just a, a close-up look at our God. And then, this is a fun one. And by the way, we've been doing these on our Wednesday night devotions. We come together for prayer. I spend about 15 minutes in, uh, in a devotion, take some prayer requests, and then we spend a half hour praying. And this is what we've been doing, growing in our fear of God. And we're right in the middle of this one. Take your hymnal. Take a hymnal and start highlighting the hymns that express God's majesty and holiness, and just study those hymns. Look at every verse and say, yes, I know that's a biblical principle. See if you can find the verse or a verse of Scripture that that stanza is singing about. And what you start to discover is, you know, a lot of those hymn writers were theologians first and songwriters next. That's what you discover when you, when you study the hymns that way. And you'll, you'll see, these guys had a fear of the Lord. They were reverent of God. They, they really revered him. And it came out in the songs that they wrote. By the way, there's modern hymns. That your, your hymn of the month is another great one. Look at that modern hymn and say, okay, as I break it down, here's all the biblical principles that this hymn is singing about. And boy, it is about our God. So try that. And then number, uh, number here's the fifth thing you can do. Study the book of Habakkuk. Habakkuk was a man who, like us, started looking around at politics. And the, the people, the, the governors of his land, the, the, the Jewish leaders, the powers to be, and he was frustrated as all get out. And in his mind, people got really big and God got small. And he said, God, what are, where are you? What are you doing? And why are you not doing what I think you should be doing? And he grew over the course of that very short book. You see Habakkuk's reverence for the Lord just increased mightily. And at the end, he was a fearful man who was so much closer to his God. Read that book. You'll say, if Habakkuk was here, he could relate to our frustration today. And then finally, this is another thing you can do to grow in your, your reverence for the Lord. Review all the New Testament passages on hell. You cannot believe in heaven without also believe in hell because the Bible has a lot to say about hell. Study that and you will see we serve a powerful God, folks. He's a powerful God. And uh, you, do these, you do these things and as you grow in reverence from the Lord, you're actually going to find yourself living in more comfort and peace inside regardless of what is going on outside. That's what it is to live in fear of the Lord Jesus Christ. You know, only the book of Matthew mentions those who were with the centurion. See, Mark and Luke mention the centurion only, but Matthew also says those men who were under his command, they also 
in fear and reverence says, surely this must be the Son of God. Luke, the book of Luke, even says that the centurion glorified God. Could it be that the centurion and those soldiers under him moved from terror to reverence and believed on the Lord Jesus Christ? Boy, I sure hope so. I hope that was a turning point for them where they received the Lord too. I know that that thief on the cross did. One moment he's hurling insults and after thinking about it, he got scared. He grew in fear. And he said, what am I doing? And what are you doing? And then he called on the name of the Lord. He said, remember me. <laughs> you come into your kingdom. And the Lord said, today, today you'll be with me in paradise. That man went from terror to reverence. He died in peace. He died in comfort. And he lives in glory. Boy, it makes you look forward to Easter doesn't it? Father, we thank you again so much for your son, Jesus Christ. You give us much to think about in your word, Lord. I pray that we will all continue to grow in our reverence. If there's anybody here who's standing in terror, may that terror turn to reverence today. May he or she stop trusting in all the things that will not save and trust in Jesus Christ, who will. Right now. Lord, I praise you for just a wonderful celebration of our Savior. And may it not only be on Easter Sunday, may we celebrate his resurrection and his life all year long. Continue to prod our hearts, stretch them, even inflict them that we may never stop growing in our fear of your Son, Jesus Christ, that we may never Stop running to and clinging more tightly to your son, Jesus Christ, in whose name I pray. Amen. It's such a joy to be with you folks. Thank you so much. I'm going to ask Naomi, my wife, and the boys to head on up here, uh, Noah and Samuel, and they're going to close our service with special music.